Welcome everyone, I am Michael, your host for Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. This is the final segment of the Revised Summary Discussion, or Part 5. The author of the Book of Revelation. There seems to be two schools of thought regarding the identity of the man named John who wrote the New Testament Book of Revelation. One group of scholars will insist that the person who wrote the Revelations was a man named John who lived on the island of Patmos. But he was not the same man who was a disciple of Jesus Christ and wrote the Gospel according to John. The theory results from the comparative analysis of the two texts which reveals a different writing style for the two different documents. Another group of scholars will maintain that John who lived on Patmos was the same person as the Apostle. There does not seem to be any reasonable purpose for some unvetted person named John to have prophesied what appears in the book of Revelation and the truth about Patmos John's identity is that he was one of Christ's original disciples. He might have also been the original author of the Gospel according to John, but an unknown pagan editor altered the original document to such an extent that literary and biblical scholars can easily determine that the texts were not written by the same person. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicles contains an entry validating that John wrote the Revelation on the island of Patmos in the year 85 AD. The Old English text is easily translated to say, in this year John wrote his gospel in Patmos along with the book of Revelations. It was at least the belief of the authors of the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles in the 8th century AD that the Gospel of John and the Revelations were written by the same person. The Gospel attributed to John has been clearly edited by an unknown heretic, which is the cause for identifiable differences in the writing style of the two documents. The Revelations is the true work of the Apostle John, the pagan heretic who revised John's testimony omitted the details of the transfiguration, which ultimately proves that it has been altered. The Gospel according to John is a cursed version of the testimony originally authored by the true Apostle John, and there is an abundance of evidence within the text itself to validate this claim. The prophecy of the two witnesses appearing in the Revelations may have actually been an alternate telling of the transfiguration event John witnessed when he was with Jesus. The description of events in the Revelation seems to be the opposite of what happened if taken as having literal meaning, but rarely does a prophecy have completely literal meaning in its original form. It has been repeatedly stated and explained in this book that prophecy is an encrypted communication that requires decryption by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only those whom God chooses to know the true meaning of any prophecy will know it by the power of His Holy Spirit. Everyone else will know the meaning of the prophecy after it happens because it no longer requires encryption for its protection from those who would endeavor to alter the predicted future events by intervening in a variety of ways. The purpose of decrypting a prophecy is not to allow prevention of the predicted events. The purpose of explaining a prophecy is to enable the righteous to prepare for the event by having faith, hope, and love. Arguing the identity of the man who wrote the Revelation in the New Testament is fairly irrelevant when considering the fact that much of what anyone really knows about something that happened 2,000 years ago has been intentionally obfuscated by heretics. It has always been the effort of pagans and heretical Jews to conceal the truth about Jesus Christ. 
The Romans increased the telling of the lies about Jesus because they could control the population with religion and also get people to pay a tribute, which became known as tithing in the New Testament. Of course, the entire concept of paying a tithe originated as a means of tax collection, but it also exists in Islam as the pillar of alms. An organized religion will always require financial support for its existence because it has no real ability to produce its own financial support. It is not wrong to help others, but it is completely blasphemous to teach that God requires all those who believe in Him to give money to the church as a sacrifice or tithe. God does not want mankind to make sacrifices. God wants love and acceptance of the eternal truth. God's eternal truth. Elijah's ascension into the heavens was an abduction in a fiery chariot that flew away in a whirlwind, which is obviously an intellectually limited description of the space-faring holy conveyance that flew away from the planet with rocket thrusters blazing in a massive dust-off. Modern humanity easily knows such things to be an unidentified aerial phenomenon. And this fiery chariot was an alien spacecraft of extraterrestrial origin. Elijah did not return to Earth until several hundred years later as John the Baptist when it came time to baptize Jesus in repentance so that he could be anointed with the Holy Spirit as the Chosen One. Jesus intimated in secret to his disciples that Elijah was known to them as John the Baptist. Elijah's return fulfilled an important prophecy and his return proved he was also transfigured with everlasting life. The gift of everlasting life is not the result of believing that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And John 3.16 is a mind-numbing attempt to psycholinguistic manipulate the intellectually unevolved. Jesus Christ was not the Son of God and he was not an only child to Joseph and Mary. Prior to Christ's own extraterrestrial encounter event, there were three documented CE4 occurrences wherein those persons abducted had been transfigured with everlasting life for their belief in Eloi, the Shining One. There is another scriptural reverence in Ezekiel that describes what may have been a CE1 event with the descriptions of an unidentified aerial phenomenon, Bloomrich, 1974. It was not a requirement to be taken away from the earth for a long period of time for the transfiguration to occur. There are no details that suggest transfiguration only occurred as a result of a lengthy absence from the earth. And there are no descriptions of Jesus disappearing from view when meeting with the two eternal validating witnesses. Of course, it has already been explained that the eyewitnesses would most likely have been face down in the dirt during the entire event, or they were asleep. It is at least widely agreeable to state that Christ's ascension after resurrection qualifies as a CE4 event. Jesus received everlasting life prior to being crucified, and this transfiguration occurred in the presence of two eternal witnesses, which makes the occurrence at least a CE3 event with CE4 possibilities. Receiving the gift of eternal life has nothing to do with the belief in the pagan ideology of virgin birth or that Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God. Everlasting life is a gift God bestows upon a human spirit by transfiguration for that person's righteousness and true faith in the one and only God Almighty. All four documented occurrences of humans who received 
Everlasting life from God Almighty during a CE3 or CE4 event were persons who did not need to believe that Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God. In order for them to have everlasting life, all four humans that Eloi historically transfigured with everlasting life also knew that God does not impregnate human females with babies that become gods on earth. Murderers like Moses and Muhammad are not eligible for everlasting life, and Yahweh does not impregnate human females to make a baby god like Zeus or Apollo. The finality of antediluvian revelations presents to the reader an updated apocalyptic prophecy which combines Enoch's prophecy, the prophecy within the book of Revelation attributed to the Apostle John, and the author's words of prophetic revelation about God's eternal truth. The reader now has a choice to make with respect to all of the evidence presented in this poetry and these discussions. Accept God's eternal truth or continue to believe the paganized Catholic lie. Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, nor was he born of a virgin because the book of Enoch the prophet, which predates all other books of the Holy Bible, clearly demonstrates that God prohibited eternal beings from impregnating ephemeral human females. The act of an extraterrestrial originating eternally spiritual being procreating with an ephemeral human being of flesh on earth was immoral and prohibited by Almighty God, who did not violate his own universal laws for the conduct of his sons, who were the angels tasked with watching over the evolution of other creatures throughout the universe. Almighty God is a singularity and the supreme being for all of the universe. God is creator and the father of all life in the universe. God never becomes the flesh, and Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh, or an angelic son of God born on earth as a human being. Jesus Christ was the son of a man. He was flesh and blood, and he was murdered. The prophecy of Isaiah explained. Such accusations of virgin birth and God making a baby and a human female are pagan myths inspired by those errant extraterrestrials who defied Eloy's commandment of non-interference with humanity's evolution. The virgin birth of a man who would be son of God is not aligned with Judaism, which was the faith of Jesus Christ and originated in Enoch's prophecies. The impregnation of a human female by God was the belief of Greek, Roman, and Sumerian pagans, who were the descendants of the civilizations infected by the early visitations of errant extraterrestrials. The concept of virgin birth appears in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 as sarcasm for the purpose of admonishing the unfaithful, not as a prediction of the Messiah's true birthright. Jesus repeatedly said that he was son of man, and Isaiah referred to himself as son of man also. Isaiah knew about the lies of pagan, Roman, and Greek mythologies because he lived in a time when there were many different religions. Isaiah did not exist in a vacuum where there were no other groups of people who worshipped false gods. And Isaiah refers to the pagan theologies of those other peoples. Isaiah sarcastically admonishes his people about their lack of faith in the one true God who does not impregnate human females with babies that become gods. As a prophecy, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 was correct because it foretold that mankind would not have faith in God's deliverance by a Messiah unless he were born of a virgin. The Israelites truly lacked faith in an extraterrestrial originating supreme being, and Isaiah's prophecy was a criticism about their ignorance and faithlessness. In this way only, 
Isaiah's prophecy has come to pass. Mankind refused to believe in the message of the Messiah unless people were made to believe. He was born of a virgin. It is still possible to accept the message of Jesus Christ without needing to believe in all of those pagan lies about him. The message of Jesus Christ was to repent of pagan idolatry and believe in the one true God by accepting the Holy Spirit in a spiritual rebirth. Jesus as Son of God or born of a virgin was never part of Yeshua's message. All of that nonsense was fabricated by pagan Romans and heretics who thought all of what happened was a type of sorcery or magical power. The testimonies about the life of Jesus Christ were altered repeatedly until Constantine agreed to accept it. Constantine did not convert to Christianity. Constantine converted the message of Jesus Christ to a perverted and pagan religion that became known as Catholicism. When God allows Christ to return with the host of Elohim, who will take the souls of the righteous prior to the holy war of the apocalypse, he will reject all of those who insulted him by telling pagan lies about him. Jesus was the son of a man for a reason. He was a naturally conceived human being. Jesus is not God, nor son of God. There is only one God and the everlasting extraterrestrial originating Holy Spirit is God's true form. Jesus was God's Messiah, the chosen one whose message was repentance in the hope of everlasting life, even unto death. Jesus did not speak the words of John 3.16 to Nicodemus because that passage is an anachronistic psycholinguistic manipulation. Anyone who believes that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God will eternally suffer in a chasm of fire for insulting both God and Jesus. The sons of God are innumerable, and Jesus Christ was a man. The most famous scriptural passage in all of the New Testament is a pagan spell. There is absolutely no reason for Jesus to say that God gave his only begotten Son when he had not yet been crucified, nor would he have ever exalted himself in that manner. That infamous passage in the New Testament is clearly an example of pagan editorialization that has cursed humanity for centuries. Jesus Christ was not the Son of God because he was a human being. Furthermore, Jesus did not die on the cross for the forgiveness of sin as if he were a pagan sacrifice. He was murdered by pagan Romans and heretic Jews because he had told them all that they should repent of their sins in the hope of inheriting everlasting life. Jesus Christ died because of the sins of humanity. Christians have used the pagan spell of John 3.16 to trick people into believing the pagan lie about Christ's birthright. And all of those false prophets and teachers who perpetrated that lie will burn in hell for eternity. But legal issues resolved. All humans are God's children and Jesus was not an only child. The only possible alternate understanding about Jesus being the Son of God is that God adopted him. But the truth is that God chose Jesus. The concept of adoption dates back to the 6th century AD in Roman law. Adoption is a completely human idea because God does not need to adopt anyone. All human beings are already God's children. Further proof of that New Testament is an editorialized fraud is knowing that there are three references to adoption in the New Testament. Romans 8.23 Romans 9, 4, and Ephesians 1, 5. These passages are further proof that much of the New Testament did not originate in the time of Jesus and were not written by his disciples.
Many of the texts were created hundreds of years later. The concept of adoption did not appear in history until the 6th century AD. So even the inclusion of Esther's adoption in the Old Testament has been an editorialization. Esther chapter 2 verse 15 If God adopted Jesus Christ to be his son, then God has adopted all of humanity to be his children. God's adoption of humanity seems to have been the thought of the person who wrote the letters to the Romans and the Ephesians. But those texts, based on paganism, were clearly written centuries after the crucifixion of Jesus because the concept of adoption in Roman law did not occur at the time of the crucifixion or earlier. The inclusion of the parenthetical element in Esther chapter 2 verse 15 is an obvious example of heretical editorialization having the intent to justify a vaguely proposed premise of God's adoption of Jesus Christ to be his son. But the injected concept of adoption as it appears in the canonized Holy Bible is just more sleight of hand, psycholinguistic manipulation, and pagan prestidigitation created by Catholic heretics who will use it to fend off disproving the virgin birth lie. The matter of disproving the Catholic lie virgin birth has been presented in this text and Jesus Christ was not the Son of God by adoption. Jesus Christ was a flesh and blood human being and he was murdered by pagan Romans and heretic Jews who created a religion about their crime wherein they symbolically consume bread as Christ's body and wine as his blood. It has been Satan who created the blasphemous ritual of using bread and wine to represent the flesh and blood of Christ and Melchizedek will present the case of how humanity performs this ritual in defiance of Almighty God who is never flesh and blood. It will be Melchizedek's presentation of prima facie evidence that discloses how mankind has accused God of impropriety. The text of the Book of Man, commonly known as the Holy Bible, accuses God of committing the same crime as his sons. Melchizedek, God's appointed angel of peace and defense attorney for the condemned, will plead this case in an attempt to gain release for all of the fallen watchers, the spirits of their offspring, and Satan on the Day of Judgment. However, the testimonies of Mary, the mother of Jesus, the prophet Elijah, and Enoch will show that Yeshua was an innocent man. With the decision to forgive all of humanity for blasphemy weighed against the release of the condemned in the balance of God's justice on Judgment Day, the Lord God Almighty will make the only decision that God can make. Everyone who blasphemes God by execrating with Satan to accuse God of sinning the same as his sons will receive the same punishment as the condemned. God did not sin the same as his sons, and Enoch warned all of mankind that accusing God of impregnating a human female to produce a son of woman would result in eternal condemnation. God will not be swayed to release the criminals when faced with punishing humanity for blasphemy. God's justice will be done, and mankind will be punished for accusing God of impregnating a human virgin female with a child who became son of woman because he had no man as his father. After the punishment has been concluded, peace will be restored again in both heaven and on the earth. The purpose of this book 
There are any number of possible arguments to oppose the material and discussions presented in this book, but it has been the author's consideration to address many of them throughout the discussions between the parts of the poem. The one fact made abundantly clear in this work is that the Holy Bible is a cursed book because it has been editorialized for centuries so that it has become a complete fabrication of lies based on pagan understanding and superstition. Admittedly, much of the content of these discussions has been based on theoretical explanations for the poetic interpretations of an ancient book of prophecy, which is not a magical power. Prophecy is simply a message relayed from an eternal spiritual entity through the mind of a man and is no different from any other communication model. There is the occurrence of interference or background noise, which are the thoughts from the prophet's own mind. It is with complete humility admitted here that there may still be many errors in the understanding of all that has become this book and the retelling of the ancient story of Enoch. Because there is more to the greatest mystery of mankind than anyone may ever completely explain, there will always be some details not addressed or made more understandable by this epic poem and these discussions. It has not been the author's purpose to merely entertain an audience, and there really can be no single purpose for this extensive effort. It was Fry, 1957, who theorized the various purposes and components of epic poetry based upon studies of Turcato Tasso's works and others. And Fry's essays have always been the author's literary guidance during the creation of the poetry in this book. This book does not establish a doomsday cult or new wave religion. There is no intent to promote a place of worship, group of people to join up with, nor commitment to do anything that requires time, money, or effort to prove to anyone else a belief in God's eternal truth. God's eternal truth is not antichrist, nor is it an Islamic ideology, but it clearly is anti-Catholic. This message is not affiliated with the theology of the Jehovah's Witnesses, but this message is for them also. The message of God's eternal truth is all-inclusive, but very few will be willing to have humility and accept it. The purpose of this book is to reveal the truth of Jesus Christ because he was the Messiah, not the Son of God, because the belief that a man was God is paganism. Every person who reads this book will need to decide what his or her fate will be, and only God will be the judge. Salvation is not in words of faith alone. It is in the deeds of those who have true faith. It is not a matter of professing a belief that Jesus was the Son of God for the salvation of one's soul. Salvation is most definitely not a matter of symbolically eating the human flesh of Jesus Christ and drinking his blood in what is truly a pagan and satanic ritual. Salvation of one's soul and the gift of everlasting life result from accepting the message of God's eternal truth, which identifies the true form of Almighty God the truth about Jesus Christ and God's message of repentance and the hope of inheriting everlasting life in the Holy Spirit, even unto death. Jesus Christ was just a man who was a prophet murdered by pagans a long time ago. God's eternal truth is as follows. Eloi is God, the eternal shining one, extraterrestrial in origin and existing throughout all of the universe. God loves all of his creation and wants mankind's love and reciprocity. God wants all of humanity to love one another equally and unconditionally. Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, nor was he God. Jesus Christ was the Son of a man, not the Son of a woman, a human virgin immaculately impregnated by God. Jesus Christ was the Messiah, a prophet, a righteous man, and a completely human person 
who delivered God's message of repentance in the hope of inheriting everlasting life, even unto death. God wants all of humanity to know and accept the everlasting Holy Spirit. All of this message comes from Almighty God, the Father, who is the everlasting Holy Spirit, in the name of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ exists eternally with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God, but He is not God. For all who believe in God's eternal truth, the last message presented here is that you will also exist eternally with the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. There is only one God, and Jesus Christ was a man. The oldest message from God to mankind has always been in Enoch's story, but mankind has not been able to understand it until now. Well, that concludes the final segment of the summary discussion of Part 5. While there is a plan to continue recording and enhancing the audio presentation of this book, the next phase of production will be to make this book available as a free download on the Polyette Lotion Publishing website. The book will be free to download. The reason for this is that a prophet may never profit from delivering the Word of God. Any man who profits in any way on earth from delivering the Word of God is a false prophet and a fake. I do not receive money for delivering the Word of God to the world. All of this presentation has been free and will be free because it is God's message to the world. Be sure to subscribe for notifications of new releases. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.